Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Well, good morning. Hey, if you are lucky enough to have your mom still in your life this morning, I want to encourage you just take a moment to reach out to, to give her a call or give her a hug or give her a card or maybe give her a couple hours off to do whatever she wants to, right? Take a nap, take a hot bath. Can I get an amen? <laughs> hey, we, we talk about this a lot um, at our sisterhood nights, ladies, that we have throughout the year. But we talk about how the fact is that God has made us all so unique. We all have such different stories. And so I don't know if maybe this morning you might be like in the trenches of motherhood. Like you've got little people around you all the time that need you all the time. Or maybe you're a single mom and you have so many demands placed upon you. Or perhaps your house is starting to get like a little bit quiet as the kids aren't home as much anymore and they're off doing their own thing and then they're going to college and you're facing that empty nest. Or maybe there are some of you here this morning that you desperately want to start a family or expand your family and you're in a waiting season right now. There could be some of you in the room today that that maybe your mom has passed away this last year and this is your first Mother's Day without her or, or you have a strained relationship with your mom. There are so many different scenarios that each one of us and feelings that each one of us are bringing into this day. But I just wanted to remind you really quick that, that while I might not know your specific story that God does, like he knows every detail about your life. And so if today is a rough day for you, I just wanna remind you that he has promised that he's, he will never waste anything. And so he's going to continue to, he'll use your pain to bring about your purpose. And so today we just want to honor, like Colby said, we want to honor all the women in the room because God divinely chose us to be women. We are loving and we are nurturing and we are smart and we are funny and we are brave and we are beautiful, right? We are great sisters and daughters. And so all the men in the room, one more time, will you give it up for those amazing ladies that are in your life? Yeah. Love it. Well, we are in week two of our series called Joy Jitsu. And we've been walking through the book of Philippians week after week, chapter by chapter. And the Philippians, and Philippians was just a book written by a guy named Paul. He was written while he was in prison. And he was writing this book to a church that he had helped plant. And he was telling them all about joy. And so when Colby asked if I would like to speak today, I said, sure, on a couple um, of different conditions. Number one is no more home videos like last week. (laughs) If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. No more of those. And then number two, I said, like, I've loved this graphic that we've had going on for the last couple of weeks. It's very karate-like. But since we're honoring all women today, I asked if the creative team could just kind of girly it up a little bit change it for us. There you go. Right, ladies? I look so much better. Well, I've, I personally, I've loved this series. I've learned so many, so many practical things, so many challenging things. 
Um, and when it, when, if you've, maybe you've been coming to the last few weeks and you've, you've taken notes, like your notebook is full, maybe you've gone back and subscribed to the podcast because you wanted to listen to the message again, because when it comes to like more joy in your life, you have both hands up and you're like, yes, that's me. Like I could use some more joy, but maybe to be honest, there's some of you who you're still not really feeling it. You're like, we've been talking about joy, but I'm not really, I don't feel more joy. Like, where's my joy, God? Like, why don't I have joy in my life yet? And, and it's not because the messages have not been phenomenal because they totally have, babe, great messages. But as I, I've been thinking about this, this topic of joy, I was thinking about a couple different places that I can go to bring me joy. So the first place that I could go that brings me joy is the beach. Anybody else? Beach people? How about the spa? The spa can bring some joy, right? The container store? The container store for me brings so much joy. Like these are places that I can go where joy is just delivered to me, right? Here's a palm tree. Here is a facial and a, and a massage. And here are some clear acrylic bins that you can put labels on and you can put in your pantry, right? <laughs> I've recently found another place though that brings joy to me and I, and I discovered this place last year during quarantine. And this place was my garden, my garden. So just a really quick disclaimer, um, we are not expert gardeners or farmers or anything like that. Like we did though one year have eight chickens that we got for our backyard. And we got these eight chickens because we heard that they would eat the ticks that were in our yard. So we got eight chickens and they, they did their job. Like they ate the ticks, but we also have a dog. And so the chickens ended up eating the dog poop and the dogs were eating the chicken poop. And it was just way too much for us. So we sent the chickens to live on an actual farm. Um, so not an expert gardener at all, but just during those long months at home last year, I just decided, you know what? It'd be really cool. Let's, let's make a garden. And so I do what I always do when I want Colby to do something for me, to create something. I go to Instagram and I find a picture of my friend's garden and I took a screenshot of it and I showed it to him and I was like, honey, can, can we make this garden? And so he took that vision and we got to work. We went into the back corner of our backyard and we started making this garden. And it was hard work. Like there were some perennials and bushes and a bunch of stuff back there that had been there for years. And so we had to take, you know, lots of time and energy digging out all of those plants. Then we had to level that area. Then we went to Lowe's and we gave them our life savings for like four pieces of wood, right? <laughs> And we built, Colby built this C-shaped raised garden bed for me. And then we put the, the weed block inside of the garden bed and then we got all of the, the like good dirt. We brought in some good dirt and topsoil and compost and peat moss and all these words. I don't know what they mean, but we, we got all this good dirt and we put it in this garden bed. And then we got some pea gravel and we put it around the garden bed and we put some stepping stones. Like we did it upright. We made a nice garden and it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Like it took us days to dig down, to get all those plants out by the root and those weeds out. And it, was, it wasn't really a lot of fun, but it became worth it. And, and I spent so many hours out at that, 
at that garden. We had an old bench in our garage. We pulled that out there. I spent so much time last spring out at our garden. Now, to be honest with you guys, like probably at least half of that time I was hiding from my children because <laughs> it was like in the back corner and it was quarantine, you guys. But, but the rest of the time, like I literally spent hours out there planting and watering and weeding and harvesting. And the, the cool thing is from our garden just last year, we were able to get so much good food. We got some strawberries and blueberries and blackberries. And then we got cucumbers and peppers and kale and um, some cabbage and just a lot of food. The hard work was worth it. I was able to feed my family. And I've realized that the same thing is true in so many different areas of our life. Like if we want a healthy body, we've got to get up every morning, we've got to put the right food in it, we've got to fuel ourselves. we've got to move, we've got to work out, we've got to, to drink the right water, uh, not the right water, all water's good. We have to drink enough water, we have to get the right amount of sleep. What about in our relationships? Like if we want a, a thriving marriage, we've got to do the work. We've got to spend time together. We might have to spend some money on some date nights or on some counseling. We have to learn how to say things like, I love you and I'm sorry and you were right and I was wrong. Like we've got to work it. But for some reason, when it comes to, to joy, like this concept doesn't really translate. We just think joy, joy is kind of like Uber Eats. Like you call up God and you deliver some joy and he's gonna bring it to your front door. So you might have been the person that I was talking about. Like you've been coming every single week. Like you're engaged. Like you might have said amen a couple of times. Like you are here for these series. You took some good notes, but you're still thinking like, where's my joy? Why aren't, why aren't I feeling this joy yet? Could it be that, that maybe along this last month, during this last series, that we have been collecting all the right tools but we've still got to do the work. It would have been great if I went into my garage and got out all our shovels and went and stood in the backyard and just looked at the ground with my tools in my hand and said, turn into a garden bed, right? Start feeding my family. But sometimes it takes more than just the right tools. It takes work. And a couple weeks ago when we were in Philippians 2, we looked at this verse that says that we have to work out our salvation. So for those of you who are Christ followers and you've made that decision to trust Jesus with your salvation, I want you really quick just to think back to that moment. Like you didn't bring anything to that moment, did you? Except a, a desperate spirit and an open heart. But you invited God to come into your life and he began to deposit some things inside of you. You invited his spirit into your life. He deposited things like gentleness, and faithfulness. He put hope inside of you. He put peace inside of you. He put those things inside of you with the expectation that we were gonna work them out. We were gonna work out our salvation. And joy is the, is the same exact way. It's part of that fruit of the spirit that we received. Joy is deposited into our life, but we're gonna have to work it out of our life. It's just like other things in life, strong finances. Like you're going to have to work on your finances. You're going to have to put God first through the tithe. You're going to have to start chipping away at the debt that you have in your life. You're going to have to learn how to spend wisely and to save. 
It's the same thing with, with getting into a good school, right? Like the application's not gonna fill itself out. You've gotta do the work. You've gotta write the essay. You've got to get the good grades. You've got to work it. If anything in life is worth it, we're gonna have to work it. You might have the best tools, but you still need to put the shovel in the ground, right? Here's the thing that, that I fear about us as a church sometime is that we would become consumers of amazing messages, of incredible times in worship, that we would get to witness these amazing God moments, these amazing moments in God's presence, and we would receive from God that he would continue to put truths into our heart. And somehow on the weekends, in the, in the middle of all of this amazing time in God's presence, he would be putting things into us and we would, we would be starting just to get a little chunky. Like he's putting stuff in and we're getting a little fat. Like we would take it all in, but we wouldn't exercise it out. We wouldn't work it out. James tells us in the Bible, he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so this morning, I wanna tell you that you can totally live with joy in all things in your life, but we're gonna have to work your joy. Work your joy, that's the title of my message today. So before I begin, would you turn to your neighbor, tell him to work your joy. Work your joy. I love it. Hey, we're gonna be in um, the fourth chapter of Philippians this morning, and we're gonna look really quick at just three specific areas where Paul gives us instruction on how we can work our joy. So we're gonna start in the fourth verse of Philippians 4. So Philippians 4, 4, the Bible says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Paul is telling us to always be full of joy in the Lord. And you know what always means? Always means always, like every situation, every circumstance, whether we feel like it or not, whether things are going good or not, we're to constantly have this rejoicing heart this heart of worship. And so the first way that we're gonna learn how to work our joy is to work it through worship. Work it in worship. So you might, you might be thinking right now like, okay, Kristen, like you don't know what kind of a year I've been through. Like you're really telling me that I should worship, always worship, always. Like I'm telling you this morning that it's not me that's saying this, that it's, it's Paul. And we've learned along this series that that Paul has the authority to speak on this. He has been shipwrecked, he has been whipped, stoned, imprisoned, and he's the one who writes, always be full of joy in the Lord. And he tells us that we should be full of joy in the Lord, right? Not in like the crazy circumstances that he found himself in or that you find yourself in. We're not to be full of joy in, in, in the pain that we're going through or our problems or our circumstances or anything that we're facing, whether or not it's good, or it's bad. We're supposed to be full of joy in the Lord. It was a few years ago, I found myself in a podiatrist's office. And I have what I lovingly refer to as staple toes. And probably more accurately, they're staple toenails. They're like ingrown toenails that look like staples, you know, and they go into your feet and they're really painful. And I know this is probably making some of you already gag, but I'm sorry. As a boy to four moms, like gross stuff is just a prerequisite. I have to be able to deal with this. So this doesn't bother me. So I'm in this doctor's office 
And he's doing this procedure, and he's numbed up my big toes, and he's cut off the sides and yanked my toenail out of my foot, and then he shoved these bamboo shoots like down into the sides of my toes, and, and I think they've got like medicine on the end of them so that the toenail doesn't grow back, right? And so I'm looking down at my feet, and I've got all these bamboo shoots, and did I, did I say I have a kid at the office with me too? Because moms, right? We can't even go to the doctor alone, can we? So I have this child, and he's, he was sitting in the corner like this, but now he's like turned around, and he's got like his fingers in his ears, and he's like rocking back and forth. <laughs> Scarred him for life. But I, I'm into the gross stuff, so I'm watching all of this trauma happen to my feet, but I'm not feeling any of it, but I'm watching. All of a sudden, you guys, the room just started to get really, 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 really dark. And it started to spin, and I was like, I was going to faint. And all the, the people in the room started getting up and putting, like, wet washcloths on me. And I was, like, asking the doctor, like, what's going on? Why, why am I feeling like this? Like, I don't mind watching this. And, and he told me that my brain couldn't handle watching all that trauma happen to my foot while I wasn't feeling it. Like my brain couldn't handle that disconnect. And so here's what he told me to do. He said, Kristen, you, you need, just need to lift your eyes. And so I did. And as I lifted my eyes, everything was instantly better. And you guys, worship has the power to do the same exact thing in our life. Worship has the power to elevate your perspective off of whatever trauma is going on in your life, whatever storm you're walking through, whatever it is that's going in your life, worship has that ability. As you elevate your gaze to heaven, and as you worship God Almighty, no matter what's going on in your life or your circumstances, that is when we truly begin to work out our joy when we're rejoicing in the Lord. Did you notice here too that Paul tells us in this verse, he, he tells it twice again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Come on, moms. Does this sound familiar to you? Go to bed. I said, go to bed. You have to eat your dinner. Are you listening to me? I said, eat your dinner. At our house, it sounds like this. Don't pee in the front yard. <laughs> We've told you a thousand times, do not pee in the front yard, do it in the backyard where the neighbors can't see. <laughs> Paul tells us this, he tells it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, do it again. Rejoice again. There's a lot of times in our worship services where we say things or sing songs about God, do it again. Like God, do that miracle again. You have showed up in my life. I want you to do it again. We've seen the songs, right? Like, I've seen you move. I'm not going to sing, but I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And, and I believe that there are so many circumstances and situations in our life where God shows up and he does do it again. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is a God who will do it again? Amen. But I think there are times in life, too, where he's asking us, to do it again. He's asking us to come and to worship him again. Don't just be the type of worshiper who worships in here on the weekend or online, but that you worship on Monday 
and you worship him on Tuesday and you worship him in your job and you worship him in your classroom or your boardroom or the emergency room, come on, you're the type of worshiper who worships on the mountaintops and in the valleys. Because worship is just, just an outward expression of this inward belief that we have that God really is good. It's having a heart so full of gratitude that it just spills out in all areas of our life. And not just in song, in lots of different ways. It could be in the way that you serve someone. The point is that God is asking us to create this lifestyle of worship. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. So if we're gonna work our joy, first of all, we're gonna have to work it through worship. Paul goes on to say in verse six, he says this, don't worry about anything, about anything. It's, we're asking a lot today, right? Like rejoice always, don't worry about anything. And, and I think that this verse for me is one of the, the most challenging verses that I read in all of scripture. Like some of the, the big commandments, like don't, don't steal and don't murder, like I've got those, right? But this one, this is difficult for me. And I don't, I don't think I truly experienced what it was like to worry until I had my first child. Like I thought I'd worried. I thought I'd worried about final exams in college. And I thought I'd worried about my first day at my first job. But I don't think I really had any idea until you experienced that someone putting your tiny son or your tiny daughter into your arms for the first time. Do you guys remember that feeling? Like, oh my gosh, like I have to keep this alive. Like it's, it's not a plant and it's not a dog. It's a human. It's a human and this child, this, she's going to depend on me for the safety and the protection of that child, the raising of that child, like, like it's on you. I'll never forget the day when they put my firstborn, Wade, who is like, now he's a giant. He was so tiny and now he's a giant. And, and there, there have been two like really weird moments for me as we've seen our sons grow up. The first weird moment was the day that I realized like, if this kid runs, I can't catch him anymore. <laughs> The second weird day was the day he became taller than me. It's just weird. He's, he's taller than Colby now, like he's gonna be 16 in the next month, it's crazy. But I'll never, I'll never forget the day when they put him in my arms for the very first time. And then we left the hospital. And I think on that trip home, that's when worry started to just creep into my heart. Like he began to worry about everything, about feeding him and burping him and, and poop and like all, just all the things that you worry about with these tiny babies, keeping him safe. And I'll admit that I've done the worst on that one. <laughs> I'm gonna tell this story this morning. It's just to make all the moms in the room feel amazing because I am like the world's most like okayest mom. And I'm gonna show you that in a minute. All right, so this is a story about keeping my son safe. Six week old, tiny little baby Wade, right? I go out to take him on a walk one morning and I, and I pull out our like 800 pound stroller system that we got and, and he's swaddled and I lay him inside of the carrier portion and I put it in the stroller and I click him in and we go for our walk. And when we get home from our walk, I tip the stroller up so that the front wheels come up and I can get him up on our back porch, which was like four or five inches concrete pad. So I put him up on the porch 
And then because I'm a first time mom, I click the like wheels and lock it into place, right? So it doesn't go anywhere on this flat surface. And I walk over and I unlock the door to our house. And as I turn back to get my tiny six week old baby out of the stroller, which I had successfully locked into place, but I had not successfully gotten all four wheels up on the concrete pad. I got like these two, but I didn't get these two. So as I turn to get him, this stroller, you guys, falls off of this porch onto our grass. And I'm running over and I'm like ripping open the sunshades and I'm praying like, please let him be alive. Please let him be alive. Please, you just let him be alive. You guys, like he wasn't even awake. <laughs> he was still sleeping. I might have also fallen on the steps with kid number two, but you guys, I did way better with kids three and four, I promise, <laughs> promise. I'm sure worry, worry is something that all of us face in our life, whether or not it's kids or not, it's we're worrying about our jobs or we're worrying about our finances, we're worrying about our health, we're worrying about what this world is gonna look like in a few years. Here's the thing that we need to realize, and it might be tough to hear this morning, but, but worry is sin. Like worry is sin. And Colby tells us all the time that, that sin just is an archery term. It means that we're missing the bullseye. We're missing the mark. Worry is the sin of not trusting in the promises of God. Billy Graham once said this. He said, if we trust in our worry more than we trust in our God, we're sinning by our lack of faith in God. Matthew 6.25 tells us, don't be worried about your life. Like, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Worrying is just living a life opposite of the life that God has intended for you, a life, an abundant life, a life where you're living fully alive. There was a study done in Norway, and it actually linked worry, excessive worry, to a 70% higher risk of heart disease. Come on, you, you've heard that phrase, right? Like, don't worry yourself sick. Like, you can't actually worry yourself sick. And if worry doesn't end up affecting your health, it for sure can rob your joy. But the good news is that God's word doesn't just leave us hanging. It doesn't say, don't worry about anything, period. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. So if we're going to have joy in our life, we're going to have to work it through worship, but we're also going to have to work it through prayer, through prayer. The, the whole verse six, it says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And I get it. Like this, this is easier said than done. But I believe that we serve a God who is big enough to handle every single worry that we might have or every single fear in our mind or every single care in our heart. He is big enough. And I know this because Psalm 55, 22, the message version of this verse, it says, pile your troubles on God's shoulders. Isn't that a great visual? Like pile your troubles on God's shoulders he will carry your load. He will help you out. And the verse goes on to say, he's never going to let the righteous fall. And that's, that's a promise from the word of God, not something that I'm saying. That's a promise from God's word, which is faithful and true in every season. He 
will never let us fall. It's interesting, though, what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, tell God what you need, and then you're going to get an answer, right? It just says, tell God what you need. And we all know that, that God already knows our heart. Like, we don't actually have to tell him what we need in order for him to know what we need. He knows our heart. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows what's causing us to miss that abundant life that he has for us by causing us to worry. So could it be that, that just telling God what we need, that that posture of prayer is more important than even the results of our prayer? So often we get, like I get caught up in praying for an answer, but God is saying that, that, that maybe telling him what we need and spending that time in his presence, that time alone in his presence is really the greatest thing, the greatest thing we could ever receive. That time that we spend talking to God, aligning our hearts with his spirit ends up being way better than any answer to prayer. So maybe joy doesn't come in the form of what our prayers produce, but in the form of spending God time in God's presence. A joy that works is a joy that is worked out in prayer. And here is the last thing this morning. I want you to check out verse, verse 8. It says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We're going to have joy in our life. Now we're going to have to work it out through our thinking, through our thinking. So I want you to just be honest with yourself this morning. Like, What direction do your thoughts usually take you? Like when you're left alone with your thoughts, what are you thinking about? How do you think about yourself. Because listen, how, the, your frame of mind is going to end up framing your life. The way that we think becomes the way that we most naturally view the world around us. And our view and our perspective on life, that sets the tone for how we walk into every situation. How many of you this morning, how many of you have ever used the program Microsoft Word? Yeah, okay, so listen, the staff that just heard me say Microsoft Word, they're like ears perked up because I'm an Excel girl through and through. Like I will create some beautiful birthday invitations inside of Excel, and I know it's a spreadsheet, but like I can get everything lined up just so beautifully. But for the sake of this, I want you to think of Microsoft Word. We're gonna talk Microsoft Word. So when you, when you open up a new document inside of Microsoft Word and you start typing, it types in the default font, doesn't it? That the program is set up, the settings of that program. It's going to type in a default font. So you open up your document and you start typing and it, your, your default is Times New Roman. And you know, you're not a Times New Roman kind of guy. And so you change the default and the font and um, you open the little font selector and you make the change. And so maybe you're century Gothic. And so you change it to that and you do your, you do your document and you save it. And then the next time, you go into Microsoft Word and you start typing, what happens? Like it goes back to Times New Roman, doesn't it? Because that is the default setting. It's how it's programmed. The thing about us too, we have a default 
setting when it comes to the way that we think. And it's, it's not usually thinking about the things that are pure and lovely and right and honorable and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy because we, we were not born with God's nature. We were born with a sin nature. And so our default setting, the way we think of things, is filled with you know, negativity and being selfish and skeptical and filled with fear and doubt and anger and jealousy. And so we will wake up every single day and we will experience the same exact thought life unless we get into the actual settings of the program and we let God change the default setting in our mind, change it to where we start to view the world through the lens of this verse. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Well, long before David faces off with the giant Goliath, he meets a man named Samuel. So Samuel is a prophet and God has asked Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel. He's supposed to go find a man named Jesse. So Samuel goes to find Jesse and asks Jesse to bring out all of his sons. And Samuel goes down the line and he's like, nope, not him, not him, not him, not him. Do you have any more kids? And, uh, and Jesse says, yes, like our youngest, David, but he's out in the fields with sheep because he's a shepherd. And so Samuel said, bring him in. He ends up anointing the shepherd boy, David, as the next king of Israel. And if you, you're familiar with the story at all, you know that there's this chunk of time in between when David is anointed king of Israel and when he's actually appointed as the king of Israel. And during that chunk of time in the middle, David is a shepherd. He's spending time out in the fields. He's with his sheep. I want us to fast forward to the story, to the point in the story where, where the battle scene is about to happen. And we've got the armies of Israel facing off against the, the Philistine army. And the Philistines have this, this giant warrior named Goliath. And the Bible tells us that he was over nine feet tall, that the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds, and, and that he was loud, that he would Day after day, the Bible tells us for 40 days, morning and night, Goliath would stand on the battlefield and he would taunt the Israelites. He would hurl lies at them and, and, and lies and taunting them and insults. And, and the Israelites, the army, they just became terrified. Like for days on end, they're on this battlefield and all they have in their face is big old Goliath, right? Big, massive Goliath. And day after day, he's up there and he's like, look at me. Like, I'm huge. I am big. You will never defeat me. Like, you are, you are tiny. You are weak. I'm a warrior. You're not. You don't have it in you. You weren't made for this. And the Israelites began to believe what Goliath kept yelling at them. That's be that became what they began to think about themselves. And then David enters the scene, right? David, the shepherd boy, he has been out in the fields with his sheep. I can't imagine there was a ton of threat to his little sheep. So I imagine there's, there's probably some downtime and I can just picture David sitting in the fields um, on a rock, he's out there in the green grass and he's got the streams beside him and he's probably bored a little bit. So maybe he lays down, right? He's laying down, he's looking up, 
at the blue sky and the sun is warm and the stream is beside him and he can hear it and he can have his little sheep. They're just getting drinks in the, in the water and everything is great. And he's just looking up at the sky, the bigness, the vastness of God and of God's creation. And that became David's default setting, that his, that his God was big, that his God was powerful. And that's how he began to view the world around him. He filtered everything through the lens that his God was big. And so when a lion came after his sheep, like no problem, right? Because my God is big. The difference between David and the armies of Israel, it wasn't that David was this great warrior or that he was faster or stronger. The difference was that while the armies spent day after day letting Goliath tell them who they were, having Goliath set that default setting in their mind, David spent day after day after day in front of God and how big God was and how great God was. So when David went to the battlefield, he went to the, the, the line where they were starting to fight and he wasn't there to fight, he was just there to deliver some food, right? But he heard the way Goliath was talking to those Israelites and he saw the way that they reacted when he started one of his rants and David was offended. And he was like, who is this guy that he is allowed to defy the army of the living God like this? While the Israelites, they saw Goliath as this towering giant, David saw him as a tiny obstacle compared to the power of his God. I grew up thinking that it was a stone in the sling that, that killed that giant. But the truth is that giant was dead from the moment that David got up from his nap in the pasture, from the moment that he stepped foot on that battlefield, the battle was already won and that giant was already dead because of the way that he thought about his God. And so this morning, I wonder if maybe there, there's a giant or two that's blocking you from your joy. And if you would just allow God in and let him change that default setting in your mind that your giant would fall. That, that from the moment you got out of bed, from the moment your feet hit the ground in the morning, that every devil in hell would be worried because there is nothing more powerful than a Christ follower who has a changed mind, who has a surrendered mind, who has a mind that is focused on the things of God and his greatness. Would you guys stand up to your feet with me this morning? I'm going to close us in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we're just so thankful today for the joy that you have deposited into each one of of our hearts, God, and we just pray, we pray for the strength that we need to help start working that joy out, God. We're gonna work it out, we're gonna work it out through prayer, God, through spending time just in your presence, just like we are right now, God. And we also pray that, that you would begin to help Help us just reset that default way that we think, God, that, that we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be 
worried about the things that are going on around us, God, because you're changing the way that we're thinking, God, that we're thinking about how big and how powerful and how mighty you are. And as our, as our thinking is transformed, we begin to worship you, God. We wanna worship you today. We wanna worship you tomorrow. We wanna worship you again. God, we wanna worship not, not in the, the stuff that's going on in our lives, not in the, the trials that we're going through or the storms that are in our life or, or even the emotions that today brings with it. But we're gonna worship you alone, God, for who you are. And so today, this morning, we're gonna lift our voice and in the authority that you have given us, God, we are going to worship you in this place. In your name I pray. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.